Hello, everyone. Welcome along to the Event Industry News Podcast. My name is James Dixon, wishing you a very good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever or wherever you are tuning into today's podcast from. The podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Engage, powered by D2I Systems, winner of Best Event Management Platform at the 2017 Event Technology Awards. To learn how Engage can make your business more profitable, visit d2isystems.com forward slash engage. Welcome along, everybody, to today's podcast, and welcome along to our guest today. Uh, please give a warm welcome to the podcast to Jim Bowes. Jim is the founder and CEO of Manifesto. Jim, great to have you on board today. Good to be here. Uh, before we sort of delve into the podcast, we're going to be looking um, a little bit at contactless and uh, a contactless society and referencing a specific example. But uh, let's talk about Manifesto, first of all, Jim. Um, how and why was that created? Yes, yeah, so Manifesto is a digital agency. We work extensively in the not-for-profit sector. So we work with clients like the National Trust, like UNICEF UK, um, sort of reimagining their, their websites and reimagining their world for sort of, um, you know, the, the, the digital revolution that's occurred over the, the last few years and also looking to the future to this sort of world of automation that's coming and, and you know obviously systems like contactless relevant in that um, I had an extensive career in digital but I've also had a varied career I'm sure we'll talk about my stand-up comedy past uh, um, in a little while uh, and, and really Manifesto is a business that really helps to work with organizations to create positive change through using sort of digital technology. Sure. So we've got a digital agency, in, and as you as you alluded to briefly there, um, Jim uh, is a, uh, I say a former stand-up comedian. I, I guess nobody is really a former stand-up comedian. You're always a stand-up comedian. It might just not be uh, your main source of income at the moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm a stand-up comedian on hiatus, and I, I thought really seriously about whether to take a show to Edinburgh this year and we just you know the agency's going through a great growth period and um, really when I started the agency I just took that decision to take a break uh, so 2010 was my last show um, but it's always there in the back of my mind just saying you know maybe that maybe it's time to do another show and I think what I'd certainly do next time around uh, is perhaps bring together my two loves and, and bring sort of technology into the comedy show uh, and so that's the thing that's burning away in the back of my mind I, I do a podcast called Alexa Stop which is about how technology is changing our lives and that's my real fascination is you know how do, do things like me going away how do things like robots coming into our homes what, what what's the impact on all of us going that 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 can be well, two things to pick up from there, Jim. First of all, I was on a phone call this morning with somebody who was actually having to, to hold the phone call for a couple of seconds and shout, Alexa, stop. Um, right. Because she was decided to chirp in in the background while the conversation was taking place. Um, and secondly, again, you, you alluded to uh, a show at the uh, Edinburgh Fringe Festival um, and whether or not you're going to do that, which does bring us nicely onto today's subject and, and why we're talking to you today. Because um, back in July, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival announced that it was introducing contactless donations for street performers for the first time. Um, and it followed the news that London will become the first city to roll out contactless payments for buskers so that passers-by no longer have to uh, to fiddle around in their pockets and sort of fish for that, that awkward change that they may have have kicking about at the bottom of their handbag or or right down in the, in the deepest darkest depths of their pockets um 
this is is fascinating because as anybody who knows the edinburgh festival um and who's ever been to it there are literally thousands and thousands of shows there i think last year the statistic was that there were just over fifty thousand shows performed during the edinburgh fringe festival and that's not counting the street performers and, and the buskers and the people who are actually out there on the streets performing and um people want to show their appreciation so when we look at how how far we've come with contactless payments and contactless donations, cashless societies. Um, what does this represent on, on a journey, if you will, from, from, from going from utilizing cash, Jim, to actually having cashless and, and contactless as a, as a very, very much an integral part of our day-to-day activities? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's just a fascinating behavior change because I think for a long time we talked about this coming um, and we were like, well, you know, in X number of years, when none of us are going to be using cash. And actually, for a long time, it just didn't happen. And then I think now we're really seeing the effect of a sort of generational change where, you know, I was at a market in Victoria Park, a food market on Sunday, and it's completely cashless. So there's maybe 20 food pop-up stalls there. And the market has mandated that cash can't be accepted. So they've decided that, you know... The, the way that everyone should pay for everything is with a card. And, and I'm, what I'm seeing now is, you know, there's that, been that period of time where you had to, if you were going to a festival, you, you were like, oh my God, I'm going to have to make sure I've got cash. That's completely flipped. And now if you've got cash, you're going to be wondering if you can spend it. Um, and, and that's just a, a really fascinating change. And I think that's to do with, there's a generation that's come through that don't expect to carry cash. Um, yeah. I still sort of sit somewhere in between. I love using contactless. I think it's a really efficient method. I know people have some security concerns around it, you know, because obviously it's so easy. But um, I also still feel reassured by having some cash in my wallet. So I'm, I, I guess I, I sort of show my age by being part of that sort of in-between in generation of people that, you know, grew up with a, uh, an analog childhood and a digital adulthood where I sort yeah. of show some traits from either side of that, that divide. Yeah, I, 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 I would, uh, I would definitely go along with that in, in, in exactly the same way. You know, I've become very, very comfortable using uh, things like Apple Pay, using contactless card payments. Um, I have no issues with that. And my, my own personal attitude, and some may call me naive, is that. The, the easier that these solutions are made for us to make contactless payments, then the tighter the security tends to become with the with the companies who are processing those payments. So for every step forward to make it easier, there's also a step made in the security uh, and the encryption and everything that goes on behind the scenes to make sure that we are secure. And if you are uh, compromised in any way, there will also be procedures in place to make sure that you are um remunerated accordingly so I, I tend to be one of these people that's quite relaxed about about how it all works i mean that, that 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 said i suppose the more curious question to me when it comes to something like edinburgh and contactless payments for for street performers is um how will they get their money that's the first thing that springs to my mind have you got any inkling or have you had any insights to how their system is actually going to be set up to work um i, I don't know how that one's set up specifically but i think you know there are, there are lots of there are lots of models out there for how, how things could work. I mean, I think, you know, actually the, the, the first version of the internet gave us PayPal and um, PayPal makes it very easy for people to sort of send payments using basically an email address. Hmm. Um, and I think really lots of these systems will just be based on registration onto a platform that, that links a performance slot to, to a person. Um, hmm. Because actually one of the things we can say about Edinburgh is even the street performance slots on the official stages are very tightly run and very well run. Yes. Um, and so, 
so it's the same people on the same stage at the same time every day actually normally for at least a week and so I think and I, you know, I remember when I, in 2007, I stayed on the Royal Mile when I was performing at Edinburgh and I got woken up by a chorus line singing Fat Bottom Girls every morning. Um, and, <laughs> and that was my sort of a wake up to the day was, was, was the, this exactly the same noise, same song, uh, 27 days in a row, uh, which is <laughs> Groundhog Day sort of coming real, really. Yeah. Yeah. They had Sonny and Cher in Groundhog Day and you had Fat Bottom Girls. Yeah, exactly. From a chorus line of, you know, um, teenagers who are doing a show, you know, around the corner and, and very good they were too. But um, I mean, I'm sure the 27th time they'd sung that chorus line at 11am every morning, uh, they were a little bit bored of it. So <laughs> um, well, when we g- going back to this idea of, of contactless payments for, for, for buskers, um, yeah. we have dealt with the, the idea of cashless payments at events and, and festivals and things like that on the podcast a number of times over the last few years and um and how it's slowly but surely getting its way and getting established within the uk event space um the fact that it's now going down to street performer level is there any excuse now for for, for event organizers for businesses for companies to to have any sort of um uh, reluctance to to take on contactless payments I mean, I think absolutely not. I mean, I know some of the mainstream retailers resisted for a little while, but they saw that wave of consumer demand for this. And I mean, I remember going to festivals uh, in the mid nineties and the bars were cashless and you had to do this terrible thing where you had to queue up with your cash and buy tickets. Um, and then you had to use the cashless tickets at the bar. So you had to do two queues just to get yourself a lemonade, um, yeah. which was yeah. one of the most horrific experiences possible. And, and you know, so organisers of these events that come together very quickly are obviously concerned about cash as a medium. And uh, Contactless has made, um, you know, p- paying quickly using uh, a card as quick as cash. So lots of those concerns around, you know, fraud and people stealing money, they all get taken away by this system. And so the, the, you know, whilst there are some concerns around some elements of security or people taking other people's cards, it's actually much, much better than lots of people in a field or lots of people at a major event carrying huge amounts of cash, which is Mm. clearly a much bigger risk. Mm. Uh, Moving that whole sort of discussion onto something that you mentioned at the start that relates to manifesto as an agency. Um, you mentioned that you're working with a lot of organisations, a lot of may- maybe major charities and, and people who themselves are not-for-profit organisations who are, pa- are perhaps relying on donations and income from, uh, from people in order to maintain their own o- operations. Um, have you seen evidence where charitable organisations have sort of been able to embrace in a similar way the contactless side of things in order to, to fulfil their own fundraising? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, there's, there's several examples of uh, contactless um, donation boxes that people have in shops. There's some new kiosks um, that are being incorporated into shops. So it's not just the contactless payment, but it's also incorporating sort of broader digital experiences, either into charity shops or into events. So we know a number of charities do on-spot registration. So events like Race for Life uh, as an event where people run five or ten kilometres, um, there's a really good moment of opportunity at that event to get people to sign up again for the following year. 
And the ability to execute on that and take a payment instantly makes a huge difference to the conversion rate. So um, why not take advantage of that moment when someone feels incredibly positive towards this amazing thing that they've just done? Um, there's also sort of slightly um, uh, more unusual examples. There's a bench near Old Street that's like a sort of a contactless charity bench that I think it gives out Wi-Fi and allows some kind of donation or something. So that's sort of really in the innovation space. I've also seen a couple of apps that, um, I mean, I don't know how you feel about QR codes, but I feel like they've been uh, like uh, an innovation that isn't really that much of an innovation that's been hanging around this space for a long time. Um, I feel that uh, QR codes are uh, the equivalent of the mini disc. Yeah, they kind of have their place, right? So most phones can recognize them pretty quickly and pretty easily and they're very good at linking people to a quick payment system so they're like a sort of exactly they're a piece of sort of useful technology that sits below the contactless payment and mm. i've seen quite a few examples of people basically trying to use qr codes because the the technology is incredibly simple and you know so if you're um someone that uh, like the National Trust, who has a massive garden, yes. it's very, very cheap to stick a QR code out next to a wishing well miles away from any property or any electricity, whereas to run something contactless, you might need slightly more capability in that location. Indeed. In, indeed so, so th th there is a there is a place for it and i suppose that that that, that draws me in in some respects to, to the next thing i was going to ask you which is is the considerations that need to be made before introducing it because i still think that there's an argument it's it, certainly in the events industry that um just because people are singing the praises about rfid uh, contactless payments um you know cashless bars whatever they may be that things still need to be looked at very, very objectively and subjectively on a case-by-case -case basis. So you have to look at your audience, you have to look at a number of different things. So when, when you've looked at this before and, and looked at this as a subject, um, if someone came to you and said, well, what are the considerations that need to be made before maybe deploying contactless? What, what sort of list would you draw up? Yeah, and I think you'd look at the circumstance, you'd look at the sort of numbers of people that are likely to be involved in the transactions. You'd want to look at what the average transaction value is likely to be because very clearly there are some limits with, with contactless. That, that So if you want to run a silent auction for a charity event for high value items, standard sort of contactless methods of payment are not going to be particularly effective. And so it's really about sort of taking in holistically the environment. And then on the flip side, it's also... And this is what people often sort of don't think about so much is what's the capability of your organization to process and deal with, with these payments coming in in a different way. So most organizations of any scale will have some kind of CRM system. They'll have a finance department that needs to rec reconcile things. They'll need to allocate the payments to appropriate pots so it gets spent in the right way. And, and as soon as you get to, and I'm speaking kind of specifically now about the not-for-profit sector, but it's, it can get quite complicated. And so some of what needs to happen as well is, have we got the, the, um, the desire to go through the change that's required in our organization to deal with this? And I've certainly, I mean, I've worked on several projects just to introduce the ability to accept PayPal into major charities, which you know, the, most of these are sort of five odd years ago now, but that was a really big deal. Like, you know, because what had happened historically was someone had, there'd been a procurement process. Someone had selected a, this is our partner for payments the finance system had been updated to accept 
the payments from this provider and they always sent through a code that helped them allocate it and any change to that process was a big people change so i guess i'm so consider the market consider the opportunity and consider the people and consider the internal change would be my take on that sure and, and there are still people that um i guess i guess are, are frightened by it but but one thing that, that that i suppose the bigger question that that um uh, senior management may be asking is is will it bring in more revenue because I, I, I guess when you make something easier you would hopefully also look look to be increasing how much of those payments you're actually taking um, is, is there an argument where people are spending more because uh, payment systems are becoming easier yeah I think well there's a few things there so when when I originally worked on those PayPal projects to sort of bring it back to that um, there was evidence to suggest that people who had money sitting in a PayPal account or a another pay, pay, payment account don't consider that the same as money in their bank account so they're more happy to do something more freely with money that they so let's say they sold their bike and they've got a hundred quid sitting in their PayPal account they don't really see that as real money they sort of see it as free money um, yeah. at the research show. So then they're happy to spend it in a different way. What you also see is, uh, I think, um, that there's a behaviour change that's generational. So particularly for charities, obviously we do a lot of work with them, but this applies more broadly. People are less comfortable with making longer term commitments, particularly to donations to charities. Yeah. So yeah. Um, people um, experience things on 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 social media or in person and they have an emotional response to that or an excited response to that and they're more likely to do something in the moment that is a bigger um, a bigger spend amount or a bigger donation amount um, as opposed to um, just saying I love this cause or I love this provider and I'm going to commit to X per month that's a that's a behavior that's shrinking and um, I, 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 without wanting to sort of get too deep on it is there an ethical question that we need to ask over the ease of payments? Uh, because there have been sort of various figures, you know, in the last few years where people talk about um, the, the, the younger generation perhaps ending up with more debt than any generation has ever had um, in this country before. Is there a, at any point, is there an ethical question to ask about the ease of these payments and the impact it has on people's personal finances? Yeah, I think there's always ethical questions. Um, uh, when it comes to money and I think uh, you know um, we as humans have our automatic system and our reflective system and if we're spending money that we can't afford with our automatic system our impulsive system uh, and then we go home later and when we reflect we really wish we hadn't that's not um, that's not a cool thing I think okay so that means that as marketeers or as event organizers um, we've a responsibility to not uh, overly hard sell things and sure. I think as an industry the finance industry uh, has a responsibility to its customers to manage help them manage their own risk um, and that that should be about giving people the the tools necessary to perhaps limit their, their, their the behavior and perhaps where things go too far um, you know perhaps not being overly generous with giving credit and things like that in situations where it's, it's not appropriate and I think we know that there was a pattern, um, you know, pre-financial crisis, I suppose, where, where, where overly giving credit to people that couldn't really afford to pay it back was uh, caused major problems later on. I think my sense is, and I have nothing to back this up, that, that overall we're a slightly more cautious society on the other side, that gradually now, 10 years later, 10, 11 years later, 
we're just getting a bit more relaxed again. And so it's a good time to ask that question of ourselves as, as marketeers, as people that work in the finance industry, what is our ethical responsibility? And I think actually ethics as a topic, jumping outside of finance and contactless for a moment, is going to be one of the biggest discussion points generally as, as we automate work and the workplace with bots and things like that. Um, the question of, of ethics and when and how we introduce technology into our lives is going to be something that pushes up the agenda. Uh, and I suppose when you think about it from a, um, a chronological point of view, if you can call it that, that, with the financial crisis, you know, occurring in 2008, that's a decade ago. So, you know, children who were seven, eight, nine, ten years old when that happened, who were perhaps not overly aware of it at the time, have now grown up. They're now becoming 18, 19, 20 years old, young adults. They're starting jobs. They have bank accounts. You know, that, that they will perhaps be slightly unaware of this. So we, we, we've almost got a generation who are starting to become aware of money. And uh, you almost have to re-educate everybody again, haven't you? Where, where we could end up in that cycle again of people being unaware of just how easy it is to get into debt. Yeah, I think fundamentally, uh, the, the thing that I think makes the key difference with that point is, have you been of working age and working uh, through a period where the economy has really struggled? And did it have a personal impact on you? Sure. And I think those are the, the so if you've not experienced that, then I mean, I would, I'd say I've got a reasonably high appetite for risk, but I, I've noticed it start to sort of just ease back a little bit as I've gone through my career. And I'm not quite quite as outlandish in my decisions as I once was. Um, and I think that, that, that probably those things that have happened along the way shape your outlook. Yeah, definitely. And just on a more lighthearted note, um, I, was, I was one of the first things that struck me when I read about the, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival allowing contactless payments to be made is um, without wanting to pigeonhole uh, the Edinburgh Festival audience goers, they may yeah. well partake of the occasional beverage when they're in Edinburgh and whether or not there's any sort of limit that's going to be put onto individual people onto individual cards that would prohibit somebody from rolling out of a pub at 9 30 in the evening three sheets to the wind and just going around and tapping their card willy-nilly on every street performer they see I, I wonder if there is anything in place to maybe just you know stop people overspending or waking up the next day going crikey how yeah, much was spent? They had a couple of pints and they suddenly think they're the world's biggest philanthropist and they want to help every comedian and performer in Edinburgh. This guy's going to be the next Ed Sheeran and I'm going to help him out. There's Have 30 quid, mate. Then the next guy and then the next guy and then the next guy and then the next guy. And before they know it, you know, they're 250 quid down. Yeah, so how, how many do you think is the right number for the bank to step in and stop it? By well, the time the, three times in three minutes is that too many yeah well, well that, there's the question and i don't know and I, I would one would presume that these systems now with the amount of of um customization that you can do with them on a serious note you, you could probably build something that to, to that effect into it yeah yeah i, I think uh, you know the fraud detection machine learning around fraud detection you know something that it's very good at uh, is it, strong and so i think that's just about the the, the banks being savvy to it and i'm sure uh, they the systems do already uh, step in using value and time as a key uh, vector for what they look at.
Yeah, it'd be, it'd be it'd be interesting to find out. So, I mean, we are this, this is very much a, a step, um, you know, as we as we noted in our in our in our pre-podcast notes uh, on the digitization journey, if you can call it that. And um, yeah. uh, as a company that that's working very much in that world, uh, are you ever able to sort of take take a step back and and see where this is taking us to on a journey, or are we very much still venturing into the unknown? I mean, so I spoke uh, South by Southwest this year um, about about the future, I suppose, is mm-hmm. really, and, and, and I'm an optimist, right? And so uh, I, I was taking, um, so my take is the best is yet to come. Yeah. Uh, and the, the premise of the talk was that um, the automation of a number of uh, jobs and things in our lives will cause a second renaissance. That was the premise of my talk, because mm-hmm. we'll all have more time for music and philosophy and art and, and the bots can do the hard work. Um, and it's a little bit tongue in cheek, but, but overall, um, I, I think one of the great things about automating mundane work is that uh, it, it gives us a lot more time to sort of live in the human experience. And uh, there's still gonna be plenty of work for us to do. Um, the McKinsey did a big report saying about 46% of UK work can be automated. Um, uh, and, um, but of that, you know, most people's jobs fall into, they have to do a few things that are fairly easy to automate and they do plenty of things that are not. It's not really like that 10 people over there, they're going to be automated. It's more like these three tasks you do, these two tasks you do, probably in 10 years time, you're not going to need to do them. Um, and so, you know, communication, creativity, conversations, uh, that sort of more emotional side of what it is to work in teams and to collaborate and all those things become the great things that the, the future's about. And interestingly, lots of stuff about events, you know, because that's what, what the podcast is about is, is all about those things that aren't too easy to automate because when something happens last minute with a sound system or, or there's a supplier or you run out of ice or, you know, all those things are very human in their nature. They are yes. It's 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 interesting. And again, on the podcast, we've we've spoken a lot about um, you know augmented reality, virtual reality, artificial intelligence, and and, and how things are are moving and shaping, and, and artificial learning um, where where machines and, and things that are learning. Um, just praying that we don't have Arnold Schwarzenegger knocking at our door at any point in the next sort of ten years because everything's gone to that extent. But uh, fingers crossed, eh? Well, I think if, if, if he does, what you'll find out is that the Arnold Schwarzenegger bot uh, that's been produced can only do like three things. It'll be, you know, <laughs> like those key rings you used to get of Mr. T that had six sayings. Because yeah. actually at the moment, all AI is very narrow in its nature. So, you know, it's the thing in the Uber app that tells you how long it, before your taxi arrives and what your fare is going to be. Well, that's two separate pieces of machine learning and AI. And they don't work together at the moment. And some things can work together. but but you know, you hear a phrase like deep learning. And, and if we break down what that is, you know, um, and Amazon have released a camera called an AWS Deep Lens in May. And that's a deep learning video camera for $250. But, but what that has got is image recognition. Um, and it splits images down into separate parts to recognize their components. And so therefore, because it's multi-layered, it is deep learning. But what you can do with that is still it's whilst incredibly impressive, you know, I can recognize that a dog's a dog and a cat's a cat or a hot dog's a hot dog. Um, (laughs) It's still a long way from being able to assess a situation and do any number of things that a human might do in that situation. Just just reference to that, 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 that's where we stand in 2018 people. We have cameras that can recognize the difference between dogs and hot dogs. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> it's important, right? It's, it's, it's vital. I'm sure everybody has been waiting for that one and it will be added to people's Christmas lists uh, post-haste without any yeah. doubt. Um, we've been talking on the podcast today to, to Jim Bowes. Jim is the founder and CEO of Manifesto, um, a digital agency that uh, supports a lot of uh, organizations and not-for-profit organizations with the development of their own um, uh, digital pathways and, and, and their own uh, digital platforms. Um, but we've been talking, I suppose, specifically about uh, an announcement that the Edinburgh Fringe festival made back in July which said that it is introducing contactless donations for street performers for the first time and um, what that presents as, as a wider discussion on the whole contactless and cashless payment society that um, we're rapidly uh, you know becoming. Um, Jim thanks very much for joining the podcast today it's been great to have you on. Thank you it's been great thank you for having me. Um, the podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Engage, powered by D2I Systems, winner of Best Event Management Platform at the Event Technology Awards 2017. To learn how Engage can make your business more profitable, visit d2isystems.com forward slash engage. Uh, don't forget that if you hop onto eventindustrynews.com, there are various links to uh, the Event Industry News app uh, that you can download for your smartphone that will keep you up to date with all of the features, the latest content, um, and the latest podcasts that are going out via Event Industry News. And if you want to follow us on any of the usual social media platforms, all you've got to do is hop onto your preferred one and uh, search for event industry news or at event news blog um, and that brings us to the end of today's episode thanks very much for joining us thanks very much again to Jim Bowes our guest today and we'll see you on the next episode very goodbye to you all <laughs>